and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 54. I'm Nick Dixon, here almost inevitably with Toby Young. And coming up, Chinese spies, Mariana lies, and Obama's flies. Yes, I went there. Plus loads more. And of course, peak woke. But Toby, I thought we'd start with a serious story about this Chinese spy, this alleged Chinese spy, who is allegedly Chris Cash, 28, who was employed as a researcher by Alicia Kearns. And he denies it. He was arrested in March. And his, his name's only just been revealed now. He worked for the rather hawkish China Research Group, who are hawkish on China. I suppose that's what you would be if you were a Chinese spy. And his friends said he had a sociable character who was renowned for his networking skills. And to paraphrase Spinal Tap, was too much fucking networking skills, isn't it? I mean, when you're a spy, that's taking networking skills to excess, I would argue. What do you think? Yeah, it was quite a disturbing story. Um Chinese spies in the House of Commons. Um, I remember when I had a meeting with some sound Conservative MPs not so long ago in one of their offices. They were all joking about how the office was probably bugged by the Chinese Secret Service and we should be careful about what we said and, you know, how they'd been. They'd effectively, one of them, I think, had had a briefing from someone from our intelligence services, um, telling them to be careful, um, not to assume that their phones aren't bugged and that their offices aren't bugged. I mean, it it sounded really hair-raising and I thought a bit alarmist at the time. Turns out um, it wasn't so alarmist after all. No, it's just what's happening. And it's, it's quite shocking. And did you also see that Barry Gardner was commenting on it? without any self-awareness at all he was condemning it have you seen that clip no it's kind of unbelievable he just he just wades in and is like about how bad it is to have all these chinese spies like mate weren't you what what we never really found out what happened with barry gardner did we and i never was really satisfied what's with the, the story give me the backstory on this you've oh, lost the me. back the backstory was barry gardner was involved with in some way connected with a chinese spy in his office oh okay and then he right. was he was condemning he was condemning the story. Now, let me just, well, we should have checked that before. But anyway, but that's what happened anyway. He was in some way connected. He had this this woman in his office who was a Chinese spy, allegedly, blah, blah. I don't know the exact detail. Right. And then right. he was condemning it with a sort of, yeah, well, without any self-awareness at all, just boldly, like full politician right. mode. Right. Um, I guess one interesting question is um, how damaging will um, this scandal be? And I suppose we should say that... Um, the guy who's been accused of being a Chinese spy is emphatically denying it. Yes. Um, or maybe maybe you said that already. But um, the question is, how damaging will the scandal be to Alicia Kearns, who is the MP for whom he works as a researcher? Um, and that's quite interesting because she is probably the leader of the LGBTQ plus caucus within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. And um, one of the reasons I think the Conservatives are still mulling a conversion therapy ban is because she tried to amend the online safety bill to effectively um, ban the promotion of conversion therapy online. Um, And the government persuaded her to withdraw that amendment by promising to bring forward a separate bill which would ban conversion therapy. Um, so she's, she, 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 she's um, from, from that point of view, a bit of a menace. So I'll be interested to see whether it takes some of the wind out of her sails. I did discuss this with a Conservative MP who I had lunch with yesterday. And I said, you know, do you think this will 
bring down Alicia. And he said, Alicia's rise has been so anti-gravitational. I'm just generally mystified by her. I thought that was quite a good phrase, anti-gravitational. Hadn't heard that before, but I think he meant that she's she's risen way beyond her natural place, given her talents and given that she hasn't been in the House of Commons for very long. Right, yeah. It's like the rise of the weekly sceptic, anti-gravitational. Um, one little thought on this spying thing, though, Toby, just a little theory of mine, is that I'm not saying this is the cause because there's always been spying, but why wouldn't you spy now in this culture where we're told that our country is evil or we're sort of alternatively told that it, it barely even exists, you know, we're citizens of Europe and all this kind of thing and we have no culture. What, what moral argument in the, in the regime thinking is there for not spying? If, if, if cultures are relative and if we borrow from China and we take ideas like lockdown and, and, or, if, or as Justin Trudeau put it, he admired China's basic dictatorship, what, what is the morality? I mean, there's betrayal but you're only betraying a kind of corrupt, colonial, racist country anyway. So what's the logic against spying? Yeah, and and you know, in the past, when um, someone working for the Foreign Office or MI6 was um, exposed as a spy, you know, that was not just you know um, there wasn't just the criminal dimension, but it was you know there was an enormous amount of social shaming attached to it. They'd betrayed their country. Um, They'd betrayed their compatriots. Um, I didn't get the impression that, you know, in this case, this chap, if he's found guilty, will be kind of publicly shamed, you know, ostracized, excommunicated. Um, One would think that if, 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 you know, if if a Labour Party researcher uh, was revealed to be spying for the free speech union, say, that would be far, far more socially damaging than a parliamentary researcher being caught <laughs> spying for China. Yeah, it's a great point. That would be the real spying. All right. Well, we don't want to do it. Well, but some people say we should do the really long episodes, but some people say we shouldn't. So I'm saying maybe we move on from the spy story a bit quicker than we sometimes do. What do you think? Let's move on. Yeah, because we've got so much. We've got Mariana Spring. And this was a great story. BBC's chief fact-checker Mariana Spring accused of lying on CV by falsely claiming to have worked with Beeb colleagues. So she claimed to have worked alongside Sarah Rainsford covering the perception of Russia during the 2018 World Cup New European report. And this was proved to be false. And Mariana admitted to her awful misjudgment and said she was led by desperation for the job. She also said she was a brilliant journalist. I think she called herself a brilliant journalist, but admitted she was naive and stupid. And it's a bit of fun. But, and oh, and, and the and the person she was emailing there, Natalia Antileva, Antileva, I don't know how you pronounce her name, said, telling me you were a brilliant reporter who exercises integrity and honesty when you have literally demonstrated the opposite was a terrible idea. And I had a little <laughs> comment about this on Twitter, Toby, very mild comment. I just said, let's get... BBC verify on this ASAP and was blocked by Mariana. Can yeah. you believe it? That was all I, it I took. Can, it's, it's, I, 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 no, not only has she blocked you, but I imagine, you know, next time Panorama makes a documentary about how she is the most abused person on BBC staff, you'll be cited as one of the abusers. That's that's typically how how an abusive tweet is defined by Mariana, I think. Yeah, classic trolling. I'm a troll. I'm an online hate troll. And I, I, wrote, I put a thing up on Twitter. I said, day two of being blocked by Mariana. The world is now a formless void, entirely lacking verified facts. 
The 5G towers whispered to me, telling me to deny the climate and start an alt-right wellness center. But now I resist. But without Mariana's guidance, I feel lost. I mean, alt-right wellness center, Toby, was not just... I mean, that was basically what they were saying about Top Ness, wasn't it? Was it Top Ness? That they were it just, it was just a hotbed of alt-right wellness centers. And I just, it's just, she's so ridiculous. Everyone knows she's ridiculous. And everyone, lots of people in the BBC know she's ridiculous as well. But I guess the question is, you know, in the same way that um, the um, US disinformation czar working for the branch of Homeland Security um, had to kind of step back when there was that clip of her that went completely viral singing a song about, tackling disinformation set to the tune of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious from Mary Poppins. Um, that did for her. Will this do for Mariana Spring um, or will she survive this? I mean, it is quite difficult to kind of um, present yourself as, you know, an arbiter of truthfulness and an enemy of misinformation and disinformation if you've been caught lying on your CV. I mean, it, you would have thought she's now been holed below the waterline and the BBC are going to kind of wrap up this expensive and absurd experiment, which has just led to nothing but ridicule. Yeah, yeah. I know. Why did they do it to themselves? Why did they insist on having BBC verify? No one likes it. Will this be enough? I don't know. Because one argument is that everyone lies on their CV, right? It's pretty much true. But they don't lie on their CV while promoting themselves as fact checker for the entire country. Is that the problem? I mean, do you have any sympathy for the idea that everyone lies on their CV a bit? No, not really. Um, uh, and and I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't think uh, if she tried that defense, it would, it would, it would be very effective. Um, I, 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 I once, uh, when, when I um, had to stand down from the office for students job, um, Guardian, I think, um, contacted me to say that they had discovered a lie on the CV I'd submitted when I applied for the job at the Office for Students originally. And the lie was that I was an honorary fellow of Buckingham University. And um, because they said you were appointed um, uh, in, I don't know, 2014, and typically those jobs only last three years. So it expired in 2017, but you applied for this job after your honorary fellowship had expired. So effectively, you lied on your CV. And um, luckily, I had a friend at Buckingham who knew that Anthony Selden, the vice chancellor, had effectively given this story to The Guardian. And they told me to look on the Buckingham website. And on the Buckingham website, a couple of months after I'd submitted this job application to, to be on the Office for Students had billed me as an honorary fellow of Buckingham. So I could point to that. I could point the Guardian journalist to that and say, no, I wasn't lying. As I understood it, I was still an honorary fellow. And that's what Buckingham thought too, because here's their website. And then they dropped the story. But it's a pretty hairy moment. <laughs> they didn't know the first rule. Never get into a war of pedantry with Toby Yoke. <laughs> that's right. You will not beat him on any detail. <laughs> Sometimes I have occasionally, but it rocks him to his core. But you can occasionally, but you've got to be really sharp. Um, it's just so funny that Mariana, she's, do you think she'll self-reflect after this, Toby? I mean, she's one of the least self-reflective people on earth. She's just there. She's just a, she's just a front, isn't she, for whatever well, the BBC it, want to peddle. Let's get a young woman who's vaguely posh and, and sort of, I don't know, the friendly face of, of propaganda. Well, it, 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 it's sort of a hostage to fortune, isn't it? Because the next time she's interrogating someone, um, you know, in her pod, on her podcast or 
in Panorama, um, and she accuses them of saying something false or misleading, they'll say, well, it can happen to anyone, can't it, Mariana? Uh, I put my hands up, but, uh, you know, does that mean I should now resign and withdraw from professional life altogether? Is that the standard you're holding me to? Because that would be rather curious in your case. You know, it's going to be tough for her, I think, to to, 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 to hit people hard for lesser crimes. Yeah, you're right. And, and the thing she lied about was quite significant. It wasn't sort of a, a gap in her CV where she was on the dole. It was that she covered the perception of Russia during the 2018 World Cup when she just didn't, you know, so, you know, in a BBC role. So that's that's a pretty significant lie, isn't it? It's, it's it, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, one curious thing about this is that the story was broken, I think I've got this right, by the New European. Yeah. That felt like kind of, you know, um, green on green kind of (laughs) (laughs) violence. I mean, surely the new European welcomes Mariana. The kind of thing she describes as misinformation is anyone criticizing the EU. So uh, that was quite surprising. Inter-Nissan conflict there. Yeah, I was going to use that word. Do you think... Do you think it's uh, like Biden, like it's a sign they're souring on Mariana that the new European has turned against her? I expect it's a sign of someone at the BBC who dislikes her and she's apparently not universally popular within the BBC because lots of people think she's been, you know, promoted too quickly and has too important a job given her inexperience. Um, uh, It's probably someone in the BBC who's a kind of diehard Remainer may even have been at the Royal Albert Hall waving an EU flag at the last night of the proms, um, found this out. And because their hatred of Mariana is even more powerful than their hatred of Brexiteers, gave the story to the new European. Yeah, that is very possible. Yeah, she's not loved at the BBC from what I gather. All right, well, poor old Mariana. Best of luck to her. I'll never be able to see her tweets, unfortunately, because I'm blocked. So I'll never be able to be fact-checked by her or fact-checker so that's the end of my relationship with Mariana for now. No, 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 Nick. She, she still, she, 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 she may, she may yet still fact check you, even if she's blocked you on Twitter. That's true. The fact that's that she, yeah, she, safest she, way she, to do it. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah, she'll rely on snitches to pass on your tweets promoting misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, and conspiracy theories. I don't think you're safe yet. She'll probably track the uh, the gateway from the legitimate journalism of Toby Young in the Spectator. To his connections with Nick Dixon, who his connections with Carl Benjamin, who's running an alt-right wellness centre in Totnes, and you should just sort of trace the, the you know the escalation, the gateway uh, uh, drug. Someone I know once described that particular species of journalism as ten degrees of separation from Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just choked on my drink. So, exactly, he, he does a podcast with Toby Young, who what? New Hitler. <laughs> that's, 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 I, I did it too quick. That's only one yeah, degree. No, that's too quick. Two yeah, degrees. No, to, yeah, it, yeah, it be, has to be um, like... Yeah. I guess it would be something like... And Toby Young's father was Michael Young, who worked as a fire warden during the Second World War in London. The Second World War was started by Germany. Germany was led by Hitler, QED. Done. <laughs> See, that's why you're the journalist, Toby. Just the way you tracked that story down was uh, was exemplary. All right. So should we do old, good old Roisin Murphy or Roisin Murphy from last week? By the way, can I just say I'm slightly shaken during, I've been slightly shaken during all these topics because I made the mistake during the first topic of glancing at a review thinking, oh yeah, we've got to review the reviews later. And it was so horrible about me that I've actually not been able to properly focus on the podcast. <laughs> so never, because it said I'm, I'm ill-prepared. 
And so now I've been feeling like, am I ill-prepared? And actually coming across more ill-prepared. What really annoyed me about it, Toby, is that I do all the preparation for the podcast, hours of preparation, and gather all the topics. I have to record the episode myself because our producer has a day job. I have to check all the timestamps and give him like where mistakes happen if they ever do, which they rarely do. I have to give all the timestamps. I have to record the episode physically. I have to look, uh, host the show and go through every topic. I have to have loads of things in front of me, different articles. Toby can just show up. He does a great job, but he can just show up as the guest and basically mouth off. And although he's always, always well-informed, the idea that I'm ill-prepared makes me so angry that I actually have not been able to properly perform on this podcast. Oh, put it, put it, now you've got that out of your system, though. We've, we've jumped ahead a little bit there to review yeah. of the review. We've done that one. <laughs> so let's not revisit that nasty, mean-spirited review. It's disgusting. It's just I hate these people so much, and I'm, I'm, I keep wanting to stop reviewing the reviews because of that. Anyway, was just like, I had to get it off my chest because it's actually impairing me slightly on this podcast. Uh, don't listen to the podcast. If you think I'm ill-prepared, you can always get <laughs> fucked. Anyway, sorry about the language. So, Roshi Murphy, I'm very well prepared, and I know that her album is now set to claim the second spot in the UK album charts, despite the cancellation, perhaps even because of it. Who knows? And The Guardian wrote this awful review of it, which I haven't reread because I'm so ill prepared. I did read it once, and there was lots of uh, untruths about gender and things in it, and it was a sort of re- it was a re- review masquerade, hit piece masquerading as a review. It was actually quite complimentary about the music but it stuck the boot in about her general views on things. And then it had some very questionable medical sources about, you know, how about puberty blockers and how they're good for kids. And it cited one study that's discredited. But Toby, what was your take on this? Well, I'm going to defend the um, Guardian reviewer because um, even though I obviously don't share her um, dogmatic beliefs about um, sex and gender, and puberty blockers, etc. Um, nonetheless, she was able to distinguish between her, you know, the fact that Roisin Murphy didn't hold the same beliefs as, as her, and not let that affect her judgment of the album. Because even though she condemned what she'd said um, uh, and thought it was absolutely reprehensible, dangerous, would make trans kids feel unsafe, and the rest of it possibly even kill themselves, she nonetheless gave the album five stars. So isn't that in some way a sign of a mature critic and the kind of, um, you know, the kind of um, separation we want good critics to make? It may be that politically I didn't agree with this piece, but I could see that it was very well done. So I'm going to give it five stars, even though I disapprove of this person's views. It's true. It's like one of our reviews on the podcast that criticizes us brutally, but then still gives it five (laughs) Like that yeah. one that said generally great. <laughs> and that yeah, and, and I think that's right, isn't it? You shouldn't judge music according to whether or not you agree with the political views of the musician. Um, ditto all other kinds of art. There's, you know, there should only, there's no such thing. I suppose it wasn't it Oscar Wilde's quote that there's no such thing as moral and immoral art, just good and bad art. So she was effectively saying, even though this woman is immoral, she's produced good art. And I'm going to reward her for that with five stars. Yeah, although there was a lot of focus on the on the immorality that she perceived, and there was a lot of, some medical misinformation in there. So, but I see your point. She did give it five stars. I mean, it was titled. I know the columnists don't write the headlines usually, but it's "Hit Parade Review: A Masterful Album with an Ugly Stain." So, you know, there was still that in there. I mean, the ugly stain is putting that in the review. But yeah, yeah you've but got a point. Yeah, yeah. She 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 exhibited what 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 Keats called negative capability which was the idea of entertaining two contradictory ideas in your head at the same time i profoundly disapprove 
of this woman's views on trans kids and puberty blockers. But I can also admire the fact that she's produced a masterful album. I thought that was Coleridge. So, I, I mean, I'm going to try and fact check Toby Young and I could be wrong. No, you go was wrong it Keats? Well, that was Keats. That's annoying. That's annoying because I was just, I'm trying too hard there. After, after, oh yeah, you're right. After saying it's very hard to catch out Toby, I was just, I thought I'd have a quick pop <laughs> at it. But uh, that was the wrong one to choose. I'll get him next time. Um, all right. Well, I don't know if we have, I have much more to add on Roisin because we covered it so much in previous Well, I guess we should, we should say that, she, you know, she's been rewarded, as it were, because her album is now number two in the hit parade, which is oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, e- even though her record company, you know, after forcing her to apologise, then said, and we're not going to promote this album, and any proceeds of sales are going to go to trans charities like Mermaid, Mermaids, etc. Nonetheless, in spite of no support from her record company and supposedly a boycott from the LGBTQ community, um, the album's gone straight into the charts at number two, which is fantastic. And that suggests either that, you know, lots of gender crits are, are buying the album, possibly true, um, or that actually the Guardian's and other people's view that lgbtqia plus are just one big homogenous lump and just have one view is completely mistaken and actually the lgbs love the album and possibly love it all the more because she said i don't particularly like some of the things the t's are promoting um i think the second is probably more likely that's very possible the annoying thing about it i mean of course i'm glad that Rochine's doing well but the annoying thing about it is it potentially fuels the idea that cancel culture doesn't exist. And like, look, she's now got second place, yeah, you know, in the charts. And they always use this to like, look, oh yeah, I mean, her life's been turned upside down. She's had horrible abuse and death threats, but look, she ha- she's still allowed to eat. Cancel culture doesn't exist. Look at her with her album. She's still allowed to release it because in their think, mind, really, they, yeah. they should just be shut down completely and not even allowed to release the music. So they, cl- they cite the fact that she's allowed to do her job as evidence that cancel culture doesn't exist. Yeah, that's true. But I think the response must be, had you know um had decent people not intervened to defend her and in some cases buy her album she would have been cancelled so cancel culture exists and the witch finders have tried to burn this particular witch but decent people have fought back and prevailed cancel culture exists and but what you do you, you just get bumped into the cancelled world don't you she's now in the cancel world probably why the album's number two not number one I mean, in, you're in the in the main world. You can you get all the mainstream plaudits. You can make money. You've got an easy life. You just have to lie every day. And then in the cancelled world, you're just anything can happen to you. You can lose your job. You can lose any position. Yeah. But you're telling the truth, and you you you're going to get less money. Life's going to be harder and more sort of. You're going to have to patch it together in a more freelance kind of way. This is generally how it goes. But you're you get to speak the truth. But you're over in the cancelled world. Then the thing is to get one I thing is to get so many people over into the cancelled world. That we're actually there's more of us than the the, the normie world. Yeah, I think I think that's beginning to happen, and certainly there do appear to be more talented people in the cancelled world than the uncancelled world. I mean, one of the kind of strategic errors that cancellation mobs keep making is to cancel really talented people. You know, um, I don't just mean you know in the contemporary world. 
David Starkey, J.K. Rowling, Kathleen Stock, Roisin Murphy, uh, etc. But also retrospectively, historically, you know, they want to cancel Shakespeare and Roald Dahl and Ian Fleming. It's like, you know, yeah, bring it on. I mean, it, it, it's such great company to be in. Don't they realize that um, that's going to do their cause a disservice? The only people left in the uncancelled column are going to be these kind of non-player character kind of automatons who just kind of trot out the latest kind of woke dogma as if reading from a script who's going to want to be in their gang you know when you could be in a gang with Shakespeare and Roald Dahl and Ian Fleming and Kathleen Stock and J.K. Rowling it's a much more attractive gang yes great point if they're handing us Shakespeare they've really <laughs> they've done, lost done a number of themselves <laughs> yeah you're right and they semi have at times they haven't quite cancelled him have they but there are various attempts to cancel him and he did appear on a prevent hit list as a kind of gateway to terrorism. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they're always sort of trying to semi-cancel Shakespeare. Good point. We've got Rowling. We've got Shakespeare. We're doing very well. We've got Roisin Murphy now. And, Who uh, have they got? We just need – well, they've got Billy Bragg. They've got Billy Bragg. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I take it back. How can we compete? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had some good songs, but, yeah, they're, they're struggling. And they've got all the people that don't believe in it but stay silent. They're the people we need because an awful lot of talented people, Hollywood and mm. other places, mm. and they just – they just stay silent on it. And we need all of those people. Um, and by the way, I feel bad even, Toby, I feel bad even moving on from a topic now because I'm remembering another cruel review that said I just I just don't engage with the topics. I just raise them arbitrarily and then just sort of move on or something like that. And there has been many in-depth discussions. I've got to stop reading these reviews because they're actually poisoning my <laughs> stop mind. Stop reading them during the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait yeah. until the I'll end. wait until the review, the review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've poisoned me. You do a free podcast. I just, I can't believe people. Anyway. <laughs> Um, let's move on then and receive all sorts of criticisms for everything I do and do Luis Rubiales it could be worse Toby I could be facing prison over kissing someone so Luis Rubiales could face prison over World Cup kiss as prosecutor accuses FA chief of sexual assault welcome to clown world so he could face a fine or a prison sentence of one to four years the new law has eliminated a difference between sexual harassment and sexual assault sanctioning any unconsented sexual act. So this is incredible, this story. It's just run and run. It gets worse and worse. We're in a world where you're kissing someone in celebration, like many footballers have done, many football managers have done to their footballers. But because it's women's football, I don't know where to begin with this, though. Women's football is an abomination. I'm just going to say it. It's a, it's a, it, just a, it just doesn't work. It's a Pandora's box of these kind of problems. It exists to tyrannize men in a new way. That's the whole goal of it. How about that? Yeah. Is someone knocking on your shed door? It's um, the, the, I, I live beneath a, a conker tree, a horse chestnut, and it's that time of the year when the horse chestnuts fall on my shed roof and they are just unbelievably loud. Oh, it's uh, sort so of charming but, but annoying. Yeah, yeah, it, it threw yeah. me off there. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a feminist because um, of what I just said. Women's football, Toby, going to prison for a kiss. Can we all just calm down? By the way, Alison Pearson was defending this and attacking your tweet about it. I was a bit let down by that. You said that it was a feminist yeah. versus Luis Rubiales, and I saw that. I think yeah. Alison think, had said yeah, it's that, not feminist. How, yeah. It's anyone who cares about consent and something like that. Yeah, I suppose. In a sense, she's right. In I think we're real outliers um, in having any sympathy for Luis Rabiales. Um, uh, it isn't just you know the usual suspects who've been condemning him. Um, uh, it, it's it's you know it's it's ninety nine percent of the kind of population. Well, ninety nine. 
percent of the people I would typically meet or come into contact with, perhaps not 99 percent of the population. But I agree, it does seem a completely disproportionate response. I mean, he's now resigned. Um, uh, You'd think that, you know, his scalp would be enough for the kind of burgeoning Spanish Me Too movement and Spanish female football fans um, and Spanish female footballers. Um, But no, now the footballer whom he kissed and who was laughing about it afterwards on the coach, taking the players home and showing her teammates the video of him kissing her and breaking up. um, She now is bringing a criminal case or has made a criminal complaint. So he'll now be investigated by the police. And if they decide to charge him, uh, the maximum penalty will be four years in prison. Now, I don't suppose we should, you know, get too worked up about this because I think it's unlikely he'll be charged, surely, uh, particularly when they see the footage of her laughing about it afterwards. And even relaying the actual footage of the episode back, it isn't clear that she didn't pick him up first before he planted a, a kiss on her cheek. And she didn't seem remotely discombobulated by it immediately afterwards, let alone, you know, an hour afterwards when she was in the coach. She seemed to be in a sort of celebratory mood along with him. So, yeah, it, it's 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 just plainly ridiculous. And you'd think that if, you know, it's extraordinary that such a kind of ambiguous episode, at least ambiguous, you know, in our eyes, I mean, it's not, it's not as if he raped somebody or condoned a player or tried to cover up a male player's rape uh, or anything like that. This, this, this event alone has been enough to kind of... Um, kickstart the Me Too movement in Spain and to engulf Europe. It is absolutely extraordinary. And, you know, I guess it's partly because it was all captured on social media, so everyone can have an opinion about it. And, you know, it can be reproduced and it has a and it has a kind of massively amplifying effect and it gets blown up out of all proportion. You can imagine this happening in the kind of pre, you know, smartphone era and it, it, it nothing would have happened. None of us would have known about it. She probably wouldn't have bothered complaining about it. Correct. And in terms of 99% of people being against us, I'm used to being in the 1% in so many ways, in terms of intellect, in terms of the number of pull-ups I can do compared to the general population, and in terms of being on the opposite side of everything. It's never bothered me. I was on the opposite side of vaccines and masks. I was right then. I'm right now. Not saying he's a great guy. It doesn't seem like he is a particularly great guy from what I can gather, but that's a big difference, isn't it? And, um, Cressida did a brilliant rant about this on Headline as I was hosting. Louis Shaver said to her, you know, aren't you going to defend women? She says, okay, I'll defend women. We've got to stop doing this kind of thing. Or we're never going to get employed. No one's going to go out with it. And she did a long rant about how women need to just be less silly, basically. And that was a woman saying it, so you can't touch me. It's, it's absurd, Toby. It's a celebratory kiss like any kiss during football. We're not, we're not celebrating rape culture. It's absolutely absurd. And as you say, the, the, the woman herself didn't seem to pursue it. She's laughed about it. We've seen footage of that. Now you might say, well, it's up to her. If she wants to laugh about it, that doesn't change what happened. But why did she seem fine at the time? As you said, there'll probably be some feminist explanation for this about women are fine at the time and they don't, their trauma takes a while to percolate or some bollocks. Or, or the, or, no, the, the, the line will be, they've been taught not to make a fuss. Right. Um, uh, which is why so many sexual assaults don't get reported. Right, right. Um, Whereas that, I would say, be, uh, I would say the opposite. I think she, perhaps she's been coached not in a football sense, but I think I think she's just sort of basically fine, normal football. I didn't think of bringing anything about this. But someone has said, you know, that was not consenting and you should really make something of it. And she's been coached behind the scenes because she seems like a just normal sports person laughing about it. Not a big deal. You can't really have that kind of mentality as a sports person that everything's a big deal. You sort of move on. You have a stoical mm. mindset. That's how you play sports. Uh, and someone has told her, no, no, you can pursue this. 
What about that theory? I'm just making up on the spot. Yeah, that's uh, definitely right. Probably, you know, that, 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 it sounds sounds credible. And the person who has advised her to pursue this, if somebody has, is probably, you know, her sports agent who said to her, you can become an icon of the Spanish Me Too movement. You can become a heroine to millions of women and girls, and that will massively increase the sponsorship revenue you can attract. You'll become the Megan Rapinoe of Spain. Um, look at how much money she's earned. Um, that could be you. So pursue this, make a complaint to the police. Don't let it go. Don't laugh it off. Pretend to be really traumatized by it. And, you know, you, you, you'll be catapulted into the first rank of A-list sports stars. You can command millions um, for wearing, a, you know, a brand on your T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, great point. That's probably probably who it was. Well, we've solved that one with a speculation, <laughs> yeah. but I think we're definitely right. And um, it's incidentally, we, 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 when it first happened, you know, I talked about how um, Luis Rabialis wasn't following the playbook. Typically, when something like this happens and you're targeted for cancellation and the people around you call for your resignation, and you've got very little support, um, you resign, you know, rather than wait until you're fired. Um, and it uh, seemed like he wasn't going that route. He was he was being much more macho about it. And he was holding fast, clinging on to his job. And I said, it'll be interesting to see whether that benefits him in the long run. And actually, I think we have to conclude that it hasn't, that um, he probably wouldn't have now this criminal complaint pending if he'd resigned straight away. Yeah, it was never going to benefit him. They were always going to go after him harder because he showed any kind of resistance against the kind of feminist industrial complex. And um Alison can say what she wants, but the, I suppose a lot of people are going to be jealous as our podcast continues to eclipse theirs and do much better in this space. Probably shouldn't, <laughs> we should take that I, bit out. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's true. It probably I'm wasn't a massive that. fan of Alison's. So, she's great. Um, yeah, she's great. It's disappointing that, that she had to attack, attack, well, specifically attack you, Toby, for your tweet. Maybe you should have phrased your tweet well, more carefully. Louis Rubiales versus I, a feminist. I, I'm blaming you. I, I, I don't interpret it as a personal attack, just a civil disagreement. Okay. Well, you know me, any attack on the podcast, I take very, very personally. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, then I aim to just sort of win at all costs. So I'm going to move on. Sorry, haters, but I'm going to move on from a story to another story <laughs> that I've also prepared and have in front of me, almost as if I do prepare and write the titles <laughs> and the blurb and every fucking other thing. So this one is about... When, when, we, when, when we discussed earlier, moving on, that, that didn't seem to stick, did it? <laughs> Um, what moving, moving on, what moving on yeah. faster? <laughs> no, putting, putting that. Oh, moving on from it. Oh, behind you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, it's coming back as a kind of <laughs> not, uh, not dwelling on it. Yeah, right. It's coming back as a kind of motif. It's like a little <laughs> piano fine. motif. It comes back like back or something. It's the Goldberg variations of hatred. Um, so Elon <laughs> Musk committed evil with Starlink order, says Ukrainian official. This is Meek Halo Podolyak. Yeah, that's exactly how you pronounce it. And he's a Ukrainian presidential advisor. And he said, by not allowing Ukrainian drones to destroy part of the Russian fleet via Starlink interference, Elon Musk allowed this fleet to fire caliber missiles at Ukrainian cities. As a result, civilians and children are being killed. Whereas Musk said he, he didn't want SpaceX to expli be explicitly complicit in a major act of war and conflict escalation. Uh, so that's a very big distinction. What Musk did, he originally gave Starlink to Ukraine, and he says he has, I've heard he's had second thoughts about whether that was a good idea, but there was a difference between merely giving them access to Starlink versus in this case, 
immediately prior to an attack, enabling that attack. So it's a sort of it was a sort of distinction between generally having a service versus knowing immediately you're going to be the cause of people dying and taking a very clear side. And I think that is a distinction. I think he's wise to have not done it, but of course he's being hammered for it by the regime. Yes, I agree. Um, I think there is a big difference between providing the Ukrainians with um, Starlink, access to Starlink for free, uh, which he did at the beginning of the conflict. I think partly because Russia blocked um, Ukraine's Wi-Fi network. So that put them at a huge disadvantage. So he effectively leveled the playing field um, by giving them access to Starlink. Um, But that was something he did voluntarily, um, you know, out of a sense of decency or fairness or to promote Starlink, who knows. But I think responding to a direct request from the Ukrainian authorities to extend the reach of the Starlink Wi-Fi network to Sevastopol so they could then launch an attack on the Russian fleet at anchor, uh, which would have been a major escalation in the conflict. Um, that would have been, that's very different. Um, you know, they were asking him to effectively take sides, not just level the playing field, but actively participate, facilitate a major act of war. So I can understand why uh, he he declined to do that. And I don't think uh, it was evil. uh, And I don't think it was particularly inconsistent with what he'd done prior to that. I think the kind of bigger point, though, is that um, it shouldn't really be for the Elon Musks of this world to step in and provide one of the combatants with kind of access to Wi-Fi if another of the combatants blocks the other side's Wi-Fi signals. I mean, that that should be a facility um, controlled by, you know, um, NATO or the US Defense Department. Um, and it should be, you know, a state level strategic geopolitical decision and not a decision made by a private citizen an entrepreneur, a billionaire, you know, it feels like that, that, that that's what's gone wrong. And I think in response to that, Musk has said that Starlink does have a contract with the Pentagon to provide the US Defense Department with a similar capability. So if they decide, you know, at a state level to make it available to a combatant in a regional conflict, they can. And that's right. That It should be. It, that's that's the that's the, that's who should take the decision, not not Elon Musk. Yeah, and they're now going after him, and it's it's very hard not to think it's tied to the fact that he's a, an ideological enemy by uh, wanting free speech on X. I mean, we've already seen him; they've seen they've gone after him for impl- nonsense employment regulation stuff recently. The Biden Department of Justice have gone after him. Now we see them going after him for this. David Frum says an American citizen and U.S. government contractor acknowledges that he personally sabotaged a military operation of a U.S. ally. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wants Elon Musk investigated for not providing Starlink to Ukraine, even though he did, but they mean in this particular instance. He's obviously trying to de-escalate and not have World War III, but they they don't want that. They want their war. Scott Adams. Yeah, I think... Go on. Yeah. Oh, David Frum. I mean, that's that's just... Um that's sort of that's that's misinformation isn't it um i suppose if um starlink's starlink had already been extended to sevastopol and um elon musk switched it off so it couldn't be used to support the 
underwater drone attack on the Russian fleet, that would have been an act of sabotage. But the fact is, as I understand it, it didn't stretch that far and he merely declined the request to make it stretch further. So that's not sabotage. That's just not facilitating an act of war. Um, so yeah. that's very misleading. That's uh, correct. From spot. Yeah, it causes submarine drones to just lose connectivity because there was not connectivity in that area. Yeah, he didn't add it, add it when they requested it. It was mm. just never there. Exactly. It's a big difference. And um, this has prompted Scott Adams to say that are the Democrats trying to jail Musk looks that way to me. Then again, later he said half of the so-called news this week looks like a coordinated opt to jail or kill Trump and Musk. How crazy that idea would sound a few years ago. Democrats will pretend not to understand this post and attack me personally. I feel sorry for them. It is getting harder and harder, Toby, in my opinion, to claim that this regime is in any way legitimate. It wins a, a sketchy election. It then persecutes everyone associated with with the opponent, which is people like Bannon, Roger Stone, Peter Navarro, all the people I've listed before, Rudy Giuliani. Then it tries to put the former president, potential future president, in jail. Now it goes after one of the biggest tools for the opposition, which is Elon Musk using and the use of X and the potential use of X by people like Trump. Aren't they just a complete banana republic regime now? Isn't it the end of America, Toby? Aren't they just persecuting their enemies in, in obvious ways? Well, um, I think there's, I think, I think there's there's some truth in that. But I'll I take issue with your sketchy election comment. I've been, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm now about I'm now about halfway into the steel, um, and um, the more I read, the more convinced I become that um, it is a baseless conspiracy theory. Um, the reason Biden did better than expected than Trump, which is what fueled a lot of the allegations that the election had been rigged, is because, and he did, he, he, he definitely did better than he was um, expected to do based on the polls. But the reason for that is because Trump advised his supporters not to mail in their ballots. He said mailed in ballots are more susceptible to fraud than ballot than ballots you cast in person, um, but that was in the midst of a pandemic. Um, so lots of Trump supporters who would have voted for him decided not to mail in their votes, but didn't turn up to vote for him in person anyway. And that's the reason Biden did better than expected, better than the polls had predicted, and that fueled all these allegations. But if you look at the allegations, if you break them down, if you forensically examine each one. They just turn out to be nonsense in every case. Um, and this book makes a pretty persuasive argument. Um, you know, there's no evidence that the Dominion voting machines were tampered with to defraud Trump. Um, and we know that Fox, having made that allegation, then had to apologize and settle for something close to, uh, what was it, uh, $100 million. Um, there was no evidence that the one, one theory was that, um, uh, that, um, some of the uh, Democratic election officials were handing out felt-tip pens, magic markers, to people they suspected of being Trump voters because votes cast with magic markers as opposed to biros couldn't be read by the Dominion voting machines. That's complete balls. Um, every single one of these allegations, which the authors of this book take you through forensically, turns out to be baseless. Um, and... Uh, so I, I really don't think that um, that the election was stolen. I think it, it, it may be that uh, Biden is weaponizing the Justice Department, is um, encouraging state DAs to prosecute his Republican enemies. 
and so on and so forth. There may be an element of political motivation in the indictment, the four indictments now of Trump. My theory is it's because they want Trump to be the candidate because they know that uh, another candidate might do better against Biden. But you know, I, I don't think I don't think um, you can't you can't. I don't think you should you should base your your kind of um, hypothesis on um, the idea that the election was stolen because uh, I just don't think that holds up. Well. Yeah, you've said that before, and I'll have to maybe read this book, but I'm not sure I can be bothered. But certainly it's interesting that he said they shouldn't use mail-in ballots because of fraud. Certainly Democrats wouldn't care about fraud, so it makes sense they would they would win. But um, what, one thing I do want to ask you, what do you think to this theory that we've heard the Democrats now talking about masks again and talking about the COVID variant, and some people are saying, oh, this is classic. They want to bring back mail-in ballots for 2024 and do another COVID thing so everyone has to do that again because they, they've learned how to game that system, even if it's well, not to the level that I'm saying. But there's there's no evidence that um, mailed-in ballots are, in fact, more susceptible to fraud than you know ballots cast in person on election day. No, um, but, but even Trump just that they help... Trump just got that flat out wrong. Yeah, but no, they, that's not the claim. The claim is that mail-in ballots seem to help the Democrats, they've, for whatever reason they've well, noticed, so they want to be, well, make people yeah, but, do but, that again, it, even if it's they not only help the de- But they only helped the Democrats in 2020 because Trump told his well, voters says, yeah. not, to ma- not to mail in their vote. Well, no, he did say that. And um, so it's it's reasonable to assume that that's what suppressed Trump's vote. Um, maybe next time Trump won't be so foolish as to advise his own supporters not to vote for him via mail-in ballots so you don't think they're banking on just being more advanced in the, in the use of election techniques so i always say a lot of these techniques they're not necessarily illegal but they're sort of they're sort of on the edge there's, there's ballot harvesting there's mail-in ballots there's accepting what would normally be spoiled ballots uh so there's things like that so maybe they think we're good on the this is a theory anyway we're good on the mail-in ballot game better than republicans just I mean, it maybe wasn't that one-off comment from Trump. They'd think, oh, no, we'll do it again, the, whatever they did. But there's, there's, there's no evidence that the 2020 election was gamed or that the mail-in ballots were manipulated or that, you know, um, Democratic votes were harvested and Republican votes neglected or stashed away in cupboards and so on and so forth. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons all of this stuff is very implausible is because you don't know, um, you know, how someone has voted when you see the envelope it's the votes when they're mailed in are, are mailed in in sealed envelopes and when they're cast they're placed into sealed envelopes so um you how would someone wanting to rig the election know which envelopes to bin and which envelopes to kind of stick in the slot um you know there are all sorts of protections for making it a secret ballot which are all pretty effective and in previous elections the number of people and also it's a federal offense to um to 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 Vote twice, for instance, um, uh, punishable, I think, by up to two years in jail and a $10,000 fine. And in previous elections, you know, very, very few people have been successfully prosecuted for doing that. Um, so there doesn't seem any evidence that that kind of um, you know, um, malpractice is, is at all widespread. Um, so, no, I, I think, um, I think uh, I, the conventional wisdom amongst conservatives is that the harder it is to vote, the better that is for conservatives because supporters of conservative candidates are more committed than supporters of, you know, um, Democrats or Labour candidates. And so that's why, you know, supposedly um, conservatives pray for rain on election day. And that was one theory as to why um, Brexit had, had, had unexpectedly triumphed over uh, Remain um, in 2016 is because 
the day of the ballot was a very nasty day. It was kind of, it was very stormy weather. It was pouring with rain. I went out to get out the vote on behalf of vote leave that day. And, you know, was was kind of dodging in and out of, you know, um, shop fronts to kind of protect myself from the pouring rain. It was really pouring down. Um, and one theory as to why Brexit won is because, you know, um, we were more committed to the cause. We were prepared to withstand the rain and the wind to make our votes count, whereas the Remainers were more, you know, less, less committed. There's certainly been a lot anyway. of talk about how Democrats are better at getting people organized on the ground. And, and Bannon has admitted that they, they were a lot better at that. And they, they got, they're really tough about, you know, we need to get, we need to get on the ground and do this and they're better organized. That, that, that's all seems to be plausible. Um, Speaking of prison sentences, by the way, did you see there's even more Proud Boys prison sentences? This guy, Pat Steadman, got four years right, yeah. incarceration. It just goes on and on. I mean, that's probably, as you say, I mean, it's hard for me without having read that book to counter some of those points. But um, certainly to, in terms of the, the persecution, the persecution of the Proud Boys, we've already talked about it last week, seems to be extraordinary. But um, do you want to quickly do our first advert, Toby? Yeah. So our ad this week is from our most loyal sponsor, Thor Holt. Caroline from Melbourne was in a career and life funk, so she connected with Thor on LinkedIn, and after her initial free coaching call, she fed back, quote, Thor, thanks so much for the call. You really lifted my spirits, unquote. So if you are going through a challenging time in life, career at a crossroads, facing business challenges, or simply stressed out about the state of the world, call Thor. Like a somewhat less cool version of Harvey Keitel's legendary cleanup man, Mr. Wolf of Pulp Fiction fame, Thor will help you deal with your situation no matter how blood splattered or hopeless you feel. Listen to what Diane from Aberdeen said, quote, I called Thor at a time where the negativity was pouring in and the ship had lost its mooring. With coaching on various work and mindset tasks, I bit of a bit of therapy and several reminders to find the positives for me. I will always be grateful for the reset. I know I'll be back because I've learned the value in investing in myself in this way, and I recommend Thor to others without hesitation. Time to start numbing the best version of yourself with YouTube or doom scrolling, Telegram and Twitter. Get in touch at linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt. That's linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt or WhatsApp Thor on plus four four zero seven nine zero six three two one five nine three. So if you're in the UK, that's O seven nine oh six three two one five nine three. Thanks to Thor. All right, well now let's go over to Will with our top stories of the week. So I'm here with Will Jones, the editor of The Daily Skeptic, to talk about some of our bigger stories of the week. So, Will, one of the big stories that we've been covering in the last few days is the full horror of the energy bill, which sailed through the House of Commons on its third reading, um, I think, at the beginning of last week. Um, so tell us just to tell us about some of the horrors this draconian bill includes. Yeah, this is a horrific bill, and it's really, really slipped through. Very few people were aware of it or even talking about it until this week, and indeed until David Craig wrote for us this week about this energy bill. Very few MPs speaking or voting against it, and yet it is extraordinary in the scale and the ambition, what David called eco-totalitarianism, which is often is an overused word, but seems to be apt in this instance. The energy bill, it regulates and covers a lot of areas. The title uh, takes up a full paragraph. I won't bore you by reading it 
out. The essence of it is that it allows this huge expansion in the reach of the government and the state to regulate how people use energy in the privacy of their own homes. It allows the state on pain of fines of up to £15,000 or jail time to impose energy assessments to enforce people to allow inspectors to come in and create reports and assessments about their property. It allows authorities to force people when they're selling property or letting property. So whenever you want to sell your house or let a property to have to have an assessment and to tell them what they have to install, including heat pumps, these very expensive and often ineffective forms of heating. And if you don't comply with this and you sell your house or or let your house anyway, you could be liable for these extraordinary penalties. And possibly the worst aspect, although I'm sure this is in a crowded field in this bill, is that the government will be able to force homeowners to install smart meters and other smart appliances like fridges and and anything like that, anything that uses energy, energy smart appliances, will be able to require homeowners to install smart appliances that are connected to the internet, controllable, be able to be turned on and off by people outside the home. There'll be literally a bill that sets up the legal framework to control how you use your appliances, how you use energy, what you can turn on and off. Absolutely terrifying. So Lee Anderson, the vice chairman of the Conservative Party, fact-checked some of these claims being made about the energy bill on X a couple of days ago. And he pointed out that, um, in fact, the bill does not empower the state to fine people up to £15,000 or send them to jail if they fail to comply with the new energy saving schemes set out in the bill, fail to install a smart meter, fail to install a heat pump, etc. All it does is create a mechanism for a future government to bring forward regulations which would then enable the state to impose these fines or prison sentences for non-compliance. That was his defence. No, this government hasn't ushered in eco-totalitarianism. It's just made it easier for another government to do that at some point in the future. But I think his argument, if I've understood it correctly, is that if a future government wants to exercise this option to introduce these draconian regulations what would be, in effect, new criminal offences, there will have to be another vote in Parliament. So they haven't effectively granted a future government an unqualified licence to do that. They've just made it easier for a future government to do that, but it would still nonetheless have to bring forward, I don't know, a statutory instrument which would be subject to parliamentary scrutiny. Right. Well, it's a pretty weak defence, isn't it? So he's basically admitting that all of this is in there. He's just saying, oh, yes, it, it may be in this current law that we've just sneaked effectively through Parliament. But don't worry, because it can't be quite activated quite yet. There's just one more hurdle to jump through. Yes, uh, I mean, but- it is quite a weak defence. But I think it's important that we should be as accurate as we can be, because if we exaggerate and get something wrong, then we can be accused of spreading conspiracy theories, trafficking in misinformation, and you know, then the other side wins, basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Always aim to be absolutely accurate as we can be, as our listeners know. So it sounds like there is one more hoop to jump through, but this bill sets up the framework, as yes. we said, yeah. Another story you wanted to talk about was also in the kind of climate, energy, global warming space. There was an unsuccessful auction held 
I think, was it the beginning of this week or the end of last week? I think it was the end of last week for what the right to operate onshore wind farms. Yeah, so it sounds really uh, obscure and slightly dull, but actually it's, it's, it's a major development because what happened is that uh, the government held a key auction for new offshore wind project contracts. And bear in mind that the government has said it wants to be a wind power superpower. So this is a major part of its net zero policy and the way that it's aiming to get us to massively reduce our, um, our carbon dioxide emissions. This auction was a complete failure. There were no new bids for new offshore wind farms in this auction. This has been described as a failure which the Net Zero Watch, the campaign organisation, said may represent a landmark moment for renewables policy. Andrew Monford, the director there, has some pretty strong words. He says, government seems to have believed the spin about falling offshore wind costs and set a low cap on bids for new contracts. But he says they've called the wind industry's bluff by accident. And although the, the industry will now beg for new and higher subsidies of blaming inflation and supply chain problems, the government should not believe this spin. As global experience shows, wind, and as this auction shows, wind power is extremely and intrinsically expensive. And that is what this auction uh, shows. So often the uh, major developments are actually hidden in what seem to be obscure outcomes like this auction. This lack of of interest in investing in uh, what is supposed to be a flagship government net zero policy is really auspicious for the future. But it may be naively optimistic of Andrew Montford to think this could represent a turning point, that the penny will finally drop, that um, offshore wind power and possibly other forms of wind power too are just not economically viable. More likely, the government will just increase the purchase price of offshore wind um, to make offshore wind power viable again from the private company's point of view. It won't be a wake-up call. I don't I don't see Rishi Sunak, you know, waking up and smelling the coffee and deciding yeah. to abandon plans to um, pursue this particular type of sustainable energy. They'll just, um, you know, they'll just rig the auction and hold it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's a rigged auction, of course, as you say. This whole industry is hugely subsidised by the taxpayer. There's been other stories about this week with the huge amount that the government's been paying to uh, wind power companies to, to not produce energy often. Huge scandals there, huge subsidies to uh, to the industry. So in a way, it's a, it's a failure. What it represents is it shows that the government was taking the, the wind industry at its word that the cost of this power source was supposedly falling enough to be able to set the price at that level. And as Andrew says, calling their bluff, uh, not intentionally, but calling their bluff because really it can't be set at that level. The cost of wind power has not decreased by that much and frankly, unlikely to decrease that much in the near term if if ever, to that level, it's an intrinsically expensive form of energy. So yes, you're right, they will find a way to bring that investment. Surely they will they will increase the, the caps to the level they need to be to get that going. But it does, it exposes that the price, the cost is not heading down to the level that it was supposed to. So it shows up that reality. Okay. And the last story you want to talk about, Will, was this warning that's been issued by the head of the WHO about the new Pirola variant in the lead up to winter. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so this is a follow on effectively from the story we covered last week where the UK authorities were ramping up the fear and the hysteria ahead of winter. The excuse, of course, to bring forward vaccination campaigns to increase the urgency for them. 
a good way of getting people to take those shots, flu and COVID. So this is now going global. The World Health Organization has joined in and it sounded a major alarm, the Express says, over a concerning COVID wave coming this winter as deaths soar, according to the Express. I think sore is probably a little bit of a uh, exaggeration or a lot of an exaggeration. I mean, sure, they've doubled or whatever it is in the last few weeks, but it's from a it's from a very low base. We have a recent bulletin in Yale Medicine that the Express quotes saying the new variant has more than 30 mutations to spike protein, which helps it enter and infect human cells. And the Express points to a number of schools in America which have brought back face masks and other measures. So n- not a good sign, is it, for the idea of living with virus and moving on. Fortunately, the Telegraph's coverage was much more measured and Sarah Napton made a point of pointing out that the UK HSA has said that there is no evidence that Perola is more dangerous or would even become the dominant variant. And data published this week from lab studies suggests that Perola, or its official name, BA.2.86, catchy, suggests that it's, uh, it's less contagious or maybe less contagious and less able to evade the immune system than it has been previously feared. So the evidence coming out is even less to worry about than has been suggested. So lots of hype. But one particularly amusing aspect of this, Toby, is that the, uh, the the name Perola, in fact, in one dialect of Spanish, Galician, in fact, is a word for penis. Yes. And in the sixth district of Chile, it's a word for lavatory, apparently. But I thought that the, the, the variants from now on were being named after letters of the Greek alphabet. What's changed? Why has this one been called Parola? Good question. Yeah, the Greek letters stopped a long time ago, but I don't ever remember the Omega variant. So I think we must have skipped a few. I don't know what happened to that or how we've ended up on these random words. Maybe there have been so so many variants, we got to the end of the Greek alphabet. So they're now having to use kind of Galician slang terms instead. <laughs> May may well be, uh, but as I say, I don't remember the Omega variant, which you'd have thought would have been a a bit of a, yeah. a bit of a thing because that sounds very kind of you know final. Is it going to bring is it going to bring the end of the world? Fear, watch out for the Omega variant. I don't know what happened with. We'll have to look it up. We'll report back. Okay, all right. Thanks, Will, with the Daily Skeptics top stories of the week. Great, thanks, Toby. All right, that was Will. Now back with Toby. Let's go and do our occasional section. It's the X Files. So, Toby, this is somewhat related to our last story. We're sticking with American politics. And I can't actually remember how we got into that from uh, Musk. Oh, yeah, we went from Musk into sort of general American corruption. Well, this is very relevant because it's Tucker Carlson's interview on X with Larry Sinclair, who claimed to have had sex with Obama and that he smoked crack with Obama. Now, this is quite interesting because I'd actually seen this before. Some people say we shouldn't cover this, by the way, but I'll get into that in a minute. I'd seen this before from Dinesh when he interviewed this guy a while ago. So I was kind of immediately primed to see it as a bit more credible, just having seen it before and having seen it, the guy himself, Larry Sinclair, at a sort of earlier stage of his life where he looked a bit better. Because a lot of th- one thing people are citing is, look at this guy, he's a mess. And one counter to that is, well, that probably makes it likely that he did smoke crack then. <laughs> so, you know, he's, of course he looks a mess. He's smoking crack with Obama, but, you know, Obviously, Obama looks a lot better. Now, some people have said to me, we shouldn't cover this. Or people have said to me things like, it's not a good tactic. I've seen that a lot. Or I've seen a lot on on X that it's silly. Why is Tucker doing this? That it's trivial? That it's not a good way to go? But if he's a journalist just and he believes it's true, then he's just being a journalist, isn't he? Or or at least he believes it might be true. He's just covering an important story. They're sort of saying it's like a pointless smear. 
But if it's true, it is quite significant. And one reason it's significant is they're getting Trump on basically paperwork and trying to throw him in jail. So it's quite important if a former president broke the law by taking what must be presumably a class A drug. I mean, it's one of the worst drugs. Never mind, they're perhaps focusing on the sexual element and saying, well, what's wrong with it, with that, even if he is gay, which many people think Obama is. And he said in a letter famously that came out recently, he said, um, what is it? I, I make love to men in my imagination every day. That's a strange quote from him. So, Toby, the thing is, well, there's the, the sex part, then there's the drug part. Is it important to cover this story or not? What do you think? Well, um, I wouldn't necessarily criticize um, Tucker Carlson for interviewing him, um, but um, I don't believe the allegations. And um, I guess I've got two main reasons for disbelieving them. The first is the time at which he claims that he had, you know, sex with Obama uh, was um, at the very beginning of Obama's political career. That is a career that Obama had been preparing for all his adult life. He was incredibly self-disciplined. Um, everything he did um, was carefully calibrated to um, promote his political career with a view to one day becoming president. So the idea that he'd throw all that away He'd sacrifice all the sacrifices he'd already made, as it were, um, for a bump of coke and a blowjob with this guy. Just seems pretty incredible. So why should we believe it? And um, uh, he hasn't produced any uh, corroborating evidence. Um, uh, uh, you, know, you just have his word for it. And why should we take his word for it when turns out he has a long criminal record, He's done jail time twice. Um, some of the things he's been convicted for are things like forging checks. So he's a really unreliable witness. Um, and, you know, in a court of law, um, this would be this this allegation would be dismissed summarily. So you know, what what's your reason? What what's anyone's reason for thinking it's true, other than kind of to score? partisan political points uh, it just doesn't it, it to me it's completely implausible well there is the fact that his wife's a man <laughs> I mean, that, that, in well, light that, of that's that, the best you can do right? <laughs> in light of that it makes it more likely if your wife was a man who you accidentally called michael on several occasions which never <laughs> happens with anyone no one ever calls their wife a ma 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 male name by mistake it's never happened so if you're going if your husband's called michael it makes it more likely that you're, you know, doing gay stuff with men in the past and smoking crack, doesn't it? <laughs> I think if, if that's the best, that's the best you can do, then it's case closed. I'm afraid. <laughs> well, one interesting part is: should we pursue things like this? And people say it's silly and it makes us look bad. Or don't sink to their level is another argument I've heard. The problem is they throw absolutely everything at our side, whatever, whatever you want to call it, our side. But certainly at the Trump side. There was a story Trump was urinated on by prostitutes and all this. Everyone knows Trump's like a germaphobe. It was completely mm. uh, false. There's been numerous stories like that. So the argument is, oh, no, we, we should go higher and not play that game. I don't really think so anymore. I think you've got to play the game. I mean, they're putting people in prison. They're doing everything they can. You've got to, you've got to hit back with everything you've got. And this is just another thing. Whether it actually weakens your weakens, even if you accept that, you could still say, but it still weakens our argument because it looks silly or something like that. 
But they didn't worry about that with with the Trump stories. They just throw the kitchen sink at it. What about that? That's true. Yeah. Um, it it doesn't. F- I mean, yeah. I think it, it, to claim that this is below the belt, but the steel dossier um, was completely legit. I think would be to apply a double standard. Yeah. This just seems like you know um, part of the sturm und drang of um, American politics. Is this Tucker just doing what he always wanted to do now that he's off Fox News? You're like, so you had sex with Obama? Tell me about that. This is what he's been wanting to talk about the whole time. What was it like? You do crack? Does he like crack? It was just like, this is what he's been wanting to talk about the whole time. I'm not an intellectual. I talk about Obama having sex with men and doing crack. I mean, is this where he's always wanted to go? What, what, what he's, he, 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 maybe. I mean, he's, he always gives himself um, license to kind of, go to these places, even on Fox News, um, maybe not quite as far, because he's got this kind of um, quizzical, slightly disbelieving expression. Some people um, describe it as a smirk, but it's not really a smirk. It's more of a kind of protection. You know, he's, 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 he's sort of giving this person an opportunity to set out their allegations without at the same time endorsing them. Yes, he's giving them a platform, but he's giving them a slightly quizzical kind of questioning look and uh, there's something sort of slightly arch and almost sardonic about his expression as if to say i'm not telling you i believe this but i think we should discuss it you know that that's kind of the attitude yeah sort of really just How asking just asking questions yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the just asking questions defense of the yeah people wanting to go low some he definitely believes because he said them on things like the adam carolla show and you know we'll say them in interviews this one yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, this one is perhaps in, in more in the category of I'm interested because he knows he's been wrong in the past. He admits he was pro Iraq war and all these kind of things. So yeah, he he's open to he's open to new ideas. And by the way, we didn't even mention it was 9/11 yesterday. And did you see that clip? This is slightly off piece, but that Trump predicted 9/11 in his in his uh, in his 2000 book. Did you see that? I did see that. Yes. Yes, and the 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 the, the um, panel on what was it MSNBC seemed desperate to kind of uh, discredit it and couldn't believe. Are you sure he said that in two thousand? Um, and uh, yeah, no, that was that was quite entertaining. Yeah, he said he was worried there'd be another attack that made made the nineteen ninety three bombing look like nothing. And this was yeah, this was extraordinary. And then he went on to talk about uh, Bin Laden as well, and say like, oh, it's funny he was wheeled out as this boogeyman. Then we move on to the next one and stuff. He even said that in two thousand. Trump was very mm. on it. He was very on it about nine eleven. We don't have time to go down that particular rabbit hole. Building seven, we could get into it. There's been loads of people. It's funny on Twitter. <laughs> not- on Twitter now, basically no one believes, and not no one, but like I've seen polls where seventy five percent don't believe the official narrative. But that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, okay. Well, that's the uh, Larry Sinclair thing. I thought it was worth mentioning. And now we don't really have a jingle for this, but let's go across the pond. And actually, the person who does our jingles did write to me and say, you keep saying you don't have a jingle about that, and he's offered a jingle. But I think the jingle was a bit too long, so we just need a shorter one, I think, and then we'll, we'll have our jingle. Um, but I thought we'd go across the pond and look at this story from Sidanthi Sathanandan, and that's my attempt mm. to get the name right. And it's actually a really interesting and important story because she was someone who said that they sh- the police should be defunded and dismantled and then was assaulted with her children there, viciously assaulted, and then changed her tune and said, we need the police. We need to take back the city. Thanks for the police for coming. You know, they saved me. 
and went very, very hard the other way. And it was just a kind of classic. It was classic in lots of ways. It was, it was, well, let me just read this tweet from Rob Henderson about it. He says, a core feature of a luxury belief is that the believer is comfortably insulated from the consequences of his or her belief. Once that insulation dissipates, so does the luxury belief. Meanwhile, thousands of poor people suffer. And I would say that's accurate. I would say she's actually put her children in harm's way with her beliefs. I mean, one of which was that she said, thank you, Minneapolis school board members, for getting this done. This being Minneapolis school terminates contract with police department over George Floyd's death. So like many Democrats and other idiots, in, in the wake of George Floyd's death, she said, dismantle the police, defund this and that. Now she gets someone, some youths assaulting her in broad daylight, her children are there, and it's horrific. And of course, we don't say that's a good thing in any way, but we do say these are the consequences of your actions and beliefs. And I might add another thing, Toby, to be very controversial for some of our listeners, that this is, this is the delusion that society isn't based on masculine authority, but the ultimate realization that, the, that it must be. So in these moments, you call on the police. What are you calling on? You're calling upon masculine authority. This is a sort of feminine delusion. You can have these luxury beliefs, much as Peterson pointed out that the feminists are discussing their ideas off the back of an infrastructure created by working men in their universities, the men are keeping the lights on. Much in that way, you can say things like dismantle the police because you're living in an illusion. But then when the shit hits the fan, who do you call? You call the masculine authority, which is the police. And of course you have police women, but they're a bit token because if the police was all women, the criminals could overpower them. So that's irrelevant. And that's my point there. And ultimately men are still to blame. Here's my extended theory on that. Men are still to blame ultimately because one, the bad men who've come and attacked her, but two, because men at some point have presumably allowed this society to happen in the first place. So my theory is we need to get real and we need to accept that men are going to be violent and men all know this about men. And then it's the job of good men to stand up and say, we have to stop this and we can't allow ideas like defund the police to percolate. It's a little bit complicated, but anyway, that's my overall take. Yeah. Um, You left out one detail, which is that... um she is the second vice chair of the progressive Democratic Farmer Labour Party, which is, um, I guess, um, a party in the state of Minnesota. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so she's a sort of uh, Democratic uh, bigwig, um, a progressive politician. Um, and uh, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, um, uh, she, I think, uh, she tweeted, say it with me, dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. It has systematically failed the black community and it's time to build a new infrastructure that works for all communities. Um, so, you know, we often, we often hear stories about how um, the defund the police movement um, kick-started by BLM in the protests that followed George Floyd's death um, has done nothing but harm to the African-American inner city community, that the homicide rate as a consequence of police departments having their budgets cut and the police being more reluctant to police these neighborhoods where the protests were at their height um, uh, 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 has, has, has led to a massive uptick in the black homicide rate. Um, uh, uh, but but this, I think, is, is, is an example of um, someone who was actually advocating uh, defunding the police herself being the victim of lawlessness, which seems to be a direct result of um, the 
uh, cut to the what Minneapolis Police Department in the wake of George Floyd's death. Um, so pretty extraordinary. Um, and it, it seems like a perfect illustration of the late Irving Kristol's famous maxim, which is a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. Um, and uh, she, I mean, she hasn't quite gone full conservative, though she did sound a bit like, you know, Batman when she was talking about reclaiming the city from these violent thugs and complaining about law and order. Um, uh, but um, yeah, it was, um, it was a pretty extraordinary turnaround. I guess one, one, one question that this raised for me is that um, why did she immediately post about what had happened to her on Facebook? You know, she posted this very dramatic picture of her kind of covered in, blood said she'd just been robbed at gunpoint neighbors who tried to intervene had been scared off by these gun-toting thugs they had terrified her children um it was going to give them lasting trauma take years of therapy um uh to um uh uh deal with that um uh, uh, why did she i mean she must have known that the moment she did that given that she had called for the Minneapolis police to be dismantled, that she would immediately become the kind of poster child for progressive hypocrisy. Um, And yet that didn't seem to occur to her. So keen was she to kind of post on her Facebook account of what had happened to her, that it didn't seem to occur to her that that was a terrible, colossal career mistake. I mean, this is what she's going to be known as now. She's going to be famous. She's going to go down as a footnote. As to the George Floyd protests as one of the Democratic politicians who called for the dismantling of the police who ended up being mugged and changed her mind. Yeah, it's a good point. I think they just don't care about their blatant hypocrisy. They, ne- they never have before. You can There's all those tweets, how it started, how it's going. There's Defiant L's, which is a whole account basically about exposing leftist hypocrisy, the very blatant, often quite se- sequentially, you know, chronologically soon, one after the other. They don't seem to care about that at all. I suppose, especially if you've been mugged and you're traumatized, you maybe don't think about it. Oh, how will this seem, given that I said that? And if, especially if you're not that bright, and if you advocate those ideas in the first place, you're probably not very bright, or you're disingenuous, I suppose. But yeah, that might, I mean, who knows what the exact reason for that is. She certainly didn't think that through. But yeah, I mean, I feel terrible for her kids because her views put her children and everyone else's children in harm's way. They are luxury beliefs. That is the term... And with the whole, our whole society is based on luxury beliefs. Sorry to sound like Andrew Tate, but it is ultimately the threat of violence is always there. And men know this, and it's up for, to good men to stop the bad men coming with guns, as they will do. Especially now we've opened a country to the third world, and other countries have done that in the West. This is what's going to happen more and more. And we're going to see more and more that to fight against bad men who don't care about attacking you and assaulting you or raping you, whatever it is. We will need good men, and we will need... We will need law and order. I mean, it's just how it is. I don't hate to sound all Robocop on it. Yeah, but I think um, it's actually maybe it'll it'll give people espousing this policy pause for reflection in future. They'll think maybe this isn't a luxury belief. Maybe if I advocate defunding the police, I may be held up at gunpoint in my own driveway in this affluent suburb um, because um, lawlessness will just gradually fan out from city centers to eventually engulf people like me. So maybe there's some hope here that um, what was once thought of as a luxury belief um, will cease to be a luxury belief and actually a belief that if you express it will not just endanger 
poor people in inner cities, but people like you as well. I think the ultimate luxury belief is um, advocating the lockdown. Um, you know, the people who were the most uh, zealous about the need for lockdowns were educated middle-class professionals who could very easily work from home um, or knew they'd be furloughed if they couldn't work. Um, they weren't worried about um, their kids being adversely affected by school closures because they had great Wi-Fi. They didn't live at the top of a tower block in one room. They had nice, spacious suburban houses where their kids could have their own study spaces. And often the kids were at private schools and the private schools were much better at facilitating remote learning than state schools. So that, to me, was the ultimate luxury belief. Supporting ULAs is another luxury belief. I actually had a conversation with someone on Friday, Nick. I couldn't quite believe it. Um, he was someone who works in uh, financial PR, and he specializes in the mining sector. And he said he didn't understand why people were complaining about the ULAs charge being introduced, because there were plenty of cars that weren't uh, liable for the ULAs charge. He said, you know, an Audi A6, for instance. I read this long list of cars. You could pick up an Audi A6 for, you know, a secondhand one for about £40,000 with only 20,000 miles on the clock. So what's the problem? I was thinking, well, the problem is that not everyone can afford to buy a new car. What about small tradesmen with vans that do have to pay the ULES charge and can't afford to upgrade to a newer van or an electric van to avoid paying the charge? That hadn't even occurred to him. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Delusion. And, and I've always said that about lockdowns. There's, there's basically three tiers. There's one, which is furlough or 80%. That's a kind of put them both in, in one tier. Then there's the people who lost their job, like me and other small business people. You know, you're not allowed to do your job. You're shut down, in my case, because it was stand-up comedy, which obviously no one cares about as a, as a job. They see it as trivial. But there are many jobs that were shut down, hospitality, catering. And then there's a third section of people who are the ones who have to carry on working harder and work harder than ever, who are stacking the shelves and also frontline health workers and so on. So there's at least three main tiers in lockdown. And the first tier people, of course, advocated for the other two tiers to either lose their job or do even more, what we were told was risky work and work even harder. Just disgusting. Mm. Let them eat cake. And the key, thing, the, the key thing to understanding lockdown zealotry and other luxury beliefs is that um, it's not just that they express them because they know there's no personal cost to themselves. Open borders is another example. Um, it's also the fact they want to advertise the fact that there's there's no cost to themselves of these policies being implemented because it's a way of advertising their membership of the elite Brahmin class. And that's what makes luxury beliefs so attractive. It's not just that there's no penalty attached to advocating these progressive policies. It's that the fact that there's no penalty attached to them in your case is because you are rich, successful, a professional, and they want to advertise that. Yeah, that's a very dark aspect to it, if true. And on a similar note, Toby, I was going to say the one thing you, you one thing you didn't say in talking about this Sivanthi woman, you're saying in future, won't people worry that they'll actually be attacked for espousing these, these beliefs? My thing would go one further. The real leftist does it knowing they're going to be attacked 
Then when you get attacked and they've got the blood on their face, they've just been assaulted. They say, and I still believe in dismantling the police. That would be the real leftist take. That's where she fell short. She went, take our city back. She went full vigilante. She went full Robocop. She went full Batman or Rorschach. She's yeah, like, no. take back these streets. I'm eating a raw egg and punching yeah. a punk in the face. That's what she right. should have said is, I still advocate it. Yeah, yeah. She should, she should have. That's right. That's exactly right. In order to kind of shore up her woke credentials, she should have posted the video on Facebook of herself covered in blood, having just been held up at gunpoint, children threatened and said, I don't blame these young men. They've been brought up in a city with very few opportunities. I blame the unequal society we live in and the marginalization of people from BIPOC communities. That's that, that's, that would have been the, that would have been, that's what she should have said. And the patriarchy. If she didn't. <laughs> and the patriarchy. It was to- toxic masculine violence being perpetrated by poor benighted young men who have no other way of earning a living. Yeah. 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 They're toxically masculine, but they're also victims. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. a 2022 yeah. Pew Research Survey found 47% of Americans wanted to see an increase in police spending up from 31% in 2020. This is why Democrats have dropped it. You know, they had this idea it was popular after George Floyd. Now they realize it's not popular. They're like, oops, put that away. Now we're back to law and order with my bloody face in the street. Mm. So grotesque, mm. but there it is. That is what these people are like. And that's exposed them completely. And speaking of these people, and speaking of lockdowns, let's quickly do another across the pond, which is Gavin Newsom has sort of admitted he was wrong on COVID. There was an interview with Meet the Press with Chuck Todd is the host. And Newsom admitted, I think we should have, we would have done everything differently. I think all of us, in terms of our collective wisdom, we've evolved. We didn't know what we didn't know. We're experts in hindsight. We're all geniuses now. And then in terms of the criticisms, he said all of it's legitimate in terms of reflection. He also said, tried to pass the book by saying, I think there's a lot of humility and it was hardly I, it was we collectively. Oh, so it wasn't you. So a few problems with this. One is that many of us did know we had good instincts about the medical aspect of it. We were right about that. But even if we couldn't have known the medical aspect, you could say we still knew that filling up a skate park with sand was moronic. And by the way, when they did that, immediately people arrived on dirt bikes. So it didn't work anyway. But these are the kind of things that Gavin Newsom did in California, covering up skate parks, stopping family funerals. And the interview also criticized him for prioritizing the movie industry at the expense of all kinds of other people and other industries. How come you kept the movie industry going, but not the churches? Isn't it because you're aligned with those people politically? So some quite tough questions for him and very valid questions. Is he now pivoting, Toby, realizing this is his, his gap in the market? in terms of the election, to be the anti-lockdown Democrat candidate, I suppose, of his RFK Jr., but perhaps a more sort of mainstream candidate. Yeah, it felt that way. I mean, it's it's noticeable that when you actually read the transcript of his remarks, he, he, he sort of says that, in hindsight, we got it wrong, um, but we're blameless because um, it's only with hindsight that we know we got it wrong. But he doesn't say how he got it wrong. It's not clear what exactly he's saying he got wrong. He's saying, I got it wrong. But he could be saying, I should have locked down faster and harder and kept the lockdowns in place for longer and actually concreted over the skate parks. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, 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 it's, um, it's implied so he's it, not saying he's, that, he's, I think, but I know what yeah, you mean. I, I agree. The implica- But he's sort of letting... He's letting the audience draw their own inference. Their own yeah, In a test. typical... It, yeah, and it, well, it's a typical kind of politician 
kind of uh, Weasley move, isn't it? You you want to be all things to all men. So he's not committing to kind of lockdown scepticism. He's just allowing lockdown skeptics to interpret his remarks in that way, but giving himself deniability and also allowing masking and lockdown zealots to embrace him as actually siding with them, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, but but on balance, I mean, it, it, it was it was good to see um, Gavin Newsom finally admitting that he got it wrong. I mean, California um, was one of the most lockdown states in America. Um, it had the same uh, death toll per capita as Florida. So the additional restrictions made no impact when it came to saving lives. Um, but the Californian economy is a complete basket case, partly as a result of the extended lockdowns, whereas, you know, Florida, which ended the lockdown early, is absolutely booming. Um, and lots of people are moving from California to Florida, like Elon Musk. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's good to see that he's he's finally um, acknowledging that he may not have got everything right. And let's hope what he means is that I should never have locked down in the first place, or I should have ended it much sooner. Um, uh, and I imagine he's doing that in order to shore up his credentials as a possible uh, Democratic presidential nominee. Um, uh, because, as you say, um, uh, the lockdown policy isn't nearly as popular as it was. Um, and maybe he wants to, he doesn't want to, whoever the um, Republican candidate is, is probably going to be an anti-lockdown candidate. And he doesn't want that to be clear blue water between them and him, should he get the candidacy. But would you forgive him, Toby? You're there with your little mail-in ballot Democrat voter in America. He's been one of the worst scumbags of the pandemic. Would you forgive him based on these comments? No, I wouldn't. Um, not if he not if he was up against um, Ron DeSantis or Vivek. Um, uh, but I think even, even, even if he was up against Trump, I think I'd probably vote for Trump. Yeah, I mean, and you're still clinging on to DeSantis, are you, as an option? Well, he hasn't withdrawn yet. Yeah, it's not going to work out for DeSantis, sadly. But um, all right, well, that is pretty much across the pond dealt with. Now let's go to another awesome section. I used to say everyone's favorite section, but there's so many great sections now that it's hard to pick. But of course, I'm talking about Peak Woke. So, lots of good Peak Wokes. This week, I've got this one from Q Gardens on queer nature. So Q Gardens have put on some sort of event called Queer Nature. And the subheading is celebrating diversity in art, plants and fungi. <laughs> I can't say that without laughing. Diversity in fungi. I mean, fungi, it's up to you. But diversity <laughs> in fungi is just such a, I, where do you begin with this? And um, someone wrote on Twitter, close to 100% of flowering plants are hermaphrodites. So how does this connect LGBT? And they replied to this. A Kew Gardens intern replies, Hi, Millie. Plants and flowers have often been associated with queer identities, both positively and negatively. And this will be explored in the Queer Nature Festival by amplifying queer voices through art, allowing for new conservations. So queer fungi, Toby, this must be the peakest of peak wokes. Yes, um, uh, and and I went on the Kew Gardens website, which has um, a whole page devoted to queer nature after hours. So they've got this queer nature exhibit in the um, Temperate House, I think, um, uh, with lots of queer plants uh, and foliage, um, pansies, God knows what. Um, but um, they're also having this kind of after hours party uh, every night. Um, uh, and uh, they've got things like um, 
the Be More Mushroom Cabaret. Welcome to Chanterelles, a place with no morals. Get it? In Chanterelles, the walls are grubby, the drinks are muddy, and the mushroom performers will leave you questioning everything you thought you knew. There's even a queer comedy club, Nick. Um, perhaps some um, some work for you or some of your colleagues there. <laughs> it says uh, it'll be the UK's first permanent I don't know what that means. Surely it's not permanent. No, the Queer Comedy Club is the UK's first permanent LGBTQ plus comedy club. And this October, they're bringing some of their best comedians to celebrate queer nature at Q. Um, there's uh, Timberlina, John Timberlina. He's open good. brackets, they, them. As they, 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 them is join, good. Jo- and, and it's they, them. And join Timberlina as they host a series of irreverent performance, performance rituals celebrating the healing powers of queer nature. These rituals will draw on ideas around gardening history and permaculture, inviting you to embrace your echo anxiety, release your rage and summon your innate queer power. It goes on. Um, so, suppose, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah go on. No, no, go on. No, I was going to say, I suppose queer fungi can be a problem, but it's probably something you should see your doctor or sexual <laughs> health clinic about. <laughs> it was worth, it was worth jumping in with that. I think, um, <laughs> Any more on queer fungi, Toby, or do you want to move I on? I think enough with uh, queer fungi. Um, I was going to go with, um, I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, uh, Sadiq Khan has banned an advert on London Underground um, featuring artisan cheeses. Uh, so in the ad, I saw this ad, there was a kind of uh, roly-poly um, self-described cheese geek um, holding up various cheeses, including some artisanal parmesan bit of a tongue twister that one um and um sadiq khan has um blocked these ads taken them down on the grounds that they're too unhealthy and apparently um tfl's policy about what foods you can advertise on the tube um are based on the food standard agency's model um which um identify foods which are very high in fat, sugar, and salt, and which you shouldn't eat if you want to remain healthy. Um, so what's what's ironic about this is that whenever I go on the London Underground, I keep seeing um, uh, adverts for sportswear or bras or lingerie, and the models advertising those product lines are all enormously fat. They are grotesquely overweight. Um, and, um, it's, so, you know, how, how does, how does, how does, um, if, if Sadiq Khan is worried, um, that if people stuff their faces with the artisanal cheese, they're going to get too fat. Um, why in, you know, does he allow these plus size models to be used to advertise sportswear, lingerie, bras and the rest of it uh you know it's like uh, is it, sh- surely you know the body positive movement is going to have a negative impact on people's health if you're saying it's okay to be fat feel positive about being fat and yet you know so so if that's the case why not why not encourage people to eat um eat artisanal cheese anyway it just seemed to me be a bit confused the it, policy it is on, a problem uh, that the left keeps struggling with they want to ban sugar ban everything unhealthy and yet they want to celebrate body positivity, it is almost impossible. It's like you should stop eating all this stuff. It makes it's terrible. It will make you fat, which is beautiful, by the way. But then, you know, and they'll give you diabetes, <laughs> which is which is great. It's, it's almost impossible, isn't it? I mean, what do they want us to eat? Sadiq Khan, is, you know, wants in the C40 meetings, wants us to eat 44 grams of meat. So we can't have whatever it is, Parmesan or 
what is it cream cheese whatever he's saying in this thing we can't have cheese we can't have meat is it just all bill gates's synthetic meat we're supposed to eat every day i suppose so and um if and i suppose if you get fat eating synthetic meat then that's okay particularly if you're a woman mm. um but uh, if you get fat eating cheese um particularly if you're a man that's not okay if you're a straight white man that, eating a steak that's the worst but if you're a fat yeah, woman healthily eating some bill gates synthetic meat that's ideal that's fine that's ideal that's saving the planet <laughs> will they just generally become less fat because they just won't be given enough food and that's just what they're not admitting it is a problem though isn't it it is a contradiction for them yeah wow we can write in with your answers to that um, as long as you give the podcast five stars. Another one was Sam Smith. It's hard to give it a sort of a category because it's it's just him prancing around. But it is a peak woke because it's him prancing around with sh- Teletubbies as shoes and a weird picture of a, a child on his top, just looking like the most... I don't know what we're legally allowed to say, but I, I just said the new album, Hard Drive Check, available now. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know if we can what we can literally say about it, but he looks like a wrong and shall we say it's the most disturbing obscene video and people have said why is he doing this there's a couple of good reasons one is that in in this kind of victim culture and this kind of weird leftist topsy-turvy culture to look as sort of pervy as possible i'm trying to avoid certain words that might get me sued but that is <laughs> that is kind of the ultimate expression of of leftism it's like how far you know that's the ultimate thing to be isn't it in in leftism because it's the most de- degraded disgusting thing you can be so that therefore it becomes the best and but then you wonder well, who's it, behind it who's pushing this on is someone suggesting this forum is he a puppet advocating this well it, it doesn't it reflect the, the kind of um another contradiction in woke ideology which which is that on the one hand, they believe in um, self-liberation, um, emancipation of the individual. People are, are being permitted to express themselves in any number of ways so they can be their authentic selves in front of other people. No policing of identities, no policing of sexual proclivities and so forth. That's really what the pride flag is all about, why they like the rainbow. It's a kind of symbol of personal emancipation and liberation and self-expression. It's a kind of reductio ad absurdum of the kind of enlightenment philosophy. Um, But hand in hand with that goes unbelievably authoritarian policing of speech and behavior uh, in non-sexual respects. Um, so it's sort of, uh, it's a really weird kind of combination. And I tried to capture this in Young's First Law, you'll recall, Nick, which <laughs> is the um, more progressive a country is when it comes to sex and gender, the more authoritarian it is when it comes to speech and language. And the paradigmatic example is the Republic of Ireland, um, which legalized abortion in 2018, but is about to pass the most draconian speech restrictions in Europe. Um, and this seems like a good example of that. Um, this is really, an, I think, why it's why what why what's attractive from woke Sam Smith's point of view about embracing what we think of as these kind of completely perverted 
sexual identities um, is that it's a, it's a, it's it's an expression of just how free he is, just how personally liberated he is. He's thrown off the shackles of society's restraint, the patriarchy, uh, uh, cishet normativity, and he's being his authentic self. Um, but what what was what was what was really striking about it, as you say, is um, is kind of um, using um, these characters from Teletubbies um, as though trying to make himself child friendly, sort of saying, "Yes, I'm a complete sexual pervert, but I want children to see me as non-threatening," which is almost as if he's trolling those um, who um, want to link. Um, the, the, the kind of trans rights movement with kind of the minor attracted persons kind of movement, um, if it is a movement. Um, you know what I mean? The, it, he's, 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 it's like he's daring people to make that connection um, or, he's, or he's trying to ridicule people for making that connection. Um, uh, but it, 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 I imagine that generous. if you are, if you, it, maybe, but if, if, I imagine that, you know, he's not going to get much thanks from the, uh, trans community who are desperately trying to disassociate themselves um, from pedos. Um, uh, you know, uh, anyone who makes that connection um, is immediately lambasted as, um, you know, some kind of transphobe, fascist, should be locked up. Um, and we saw that was the reason the BBC, that we discussed this last week, maybe the week before, the BBC changed its story about the trans person um, who'd been arrested and it turned out they had a history of child sex offences. Um, and you're not allowed to make that connection because it feeds this alt-right trope about trans people being pedos. And yet here here comes Sam Smith, you know, probably the most famous trans performer on the planet at the moment, wearing kind of Teletubby kind of memorabilia as if to say, yes, there is a connection or I don't know exactly. It's sort of, um, yeah. it's bizarre, but that, that must be, it, that must be what's going through his head. He's trying to kind of, maybe he's trying to kind of in some way satirize people who make that connection or, 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 or kind of dare people to make that connection so they can be attacked by his kind of fans. I don't know. Extraordinary generous interpretation. I think he's simply making that connection either for his own reasons or his handler's own reasons, and it's just very, very sick. You're saying he's doing a parody of it, which I think is very, very generous, and I can't say everything I want to say because I don't know libel laws as well as you, but but he, um, it's very sick. And was, one other thing I was going to say, oh, I don't think he even calls himself trans. He, isn't he non-binary? But he's certainly them, isn't he? You, so you should have said them instead of his. We should, I should pull you up mm. on that. Them's them's perverted weird behaviour. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sorry. Yes, he's non-binary. He's not. Yeah. He's not trans. That's right. Sorry. They are non-binary. Yeah. And, and to be clear, um, I'm not saying. And to that be clear, I'm joking. Sam before Smith. someone reviews that, of course, I don't care about stupid pronouns. <laughs> before someone picks that up in the bloody reviews. You know, I think I think it isn't it that he's not. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he is himself a pedo. Just just let's be clear let's about be very that. Very clear. I think I think I think I think he's I think he's trying to um, he's trying to sail as close to the wind as he possibly can, and um, he's inviting the Daily Mail to be outraged, um, and he's inviting them to make the connection that he himself is kind of subtextually making so he can then accuse them of being intolerant and look edgy as though he's kind of pushing boundaries and 
you know is a is a is a courageous artist i think that that that's probably what's going on it's odd to want to sail so close to the pedo wind isn't it it's not particularly <laughs> a wind i would enjoy sailing anywhere near unless i was sailing to pedo island to slay them all i mean it's a pretty odd choice we have to ask the question why why always ask the question why the drag time story hour why do you want to tell these stories to children it's always my question why yeah people get i think gone. i think I think yeah, I think I think um, they would say um, we want we don't want children to be um, uh, captured by the patriarchy, by cishet normativity. We want them to be open to people manifesting their sexuality in lots of different ways. We're liberating them from the gender binary. All these. There are all these forces in society telling them to judge and condemn um, trans people, men who dress up as women. Let's normalize it. Let's make it look, let's teach them that it's acceptable, that there's nothing threatening or scary about these people. Um, They're basically trying to to liberate children and counter the toxic impact of cishet normativity. Isn't that the rationale? Maybe, yeah. But uh, I have other theories. I mean, I'm losing the world to live on that one, Toby. Do you have any more, Pete Wokes? Yes, um, I've got one more, which is, um, I mean, actually, there was there were quite a few to choose from this week, but I'll go with this one, which is, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but on the, antique, on the Antiques Roadshow, um, a couple of sisters um, uh, uh, presented the, um, the expert with um, a gift that their grandfather, the former, um, uh, what was he? The, he was the, um, I think, the uh, High Commissioner. Uh, no, he was the Governor of British Somaliland between 1926 and 1931. And he was a friend of the former Ethiopian Emperor, Haile Selassie. And um, Haile Selassie, when, this, when their grandfather retired, gave him a gift. Um, uh, it was a robe, uh, a ceremonial robe ethiopian robe and so they brought in this gift and they showed it to the resident expert ronnie archer morgan um and um uh, he, he told them it was ext- probably quite valuable uh, could raise a significant sum uh, valued it i think at between four four and five thousand pounds um uh, and this guy ronnie archer morgan is an expert in ethnic tribal and folk art um, uh, but then he urged them to um, simply give it back to Ethiopia as part of a kind of repatriation of looted artifacts kind of um, campaign. Um, and he's actually um, written a book, um, Ronnie Archer Morgan, um, in which uh, he's advocated the repatriation of artifacts stolen from Africa by kind of colonial um uh robber barons uh, but this, this is a completely ludicrous um uh, uh example because this wasn't stolen from Haley Selassie uh, this was given to um the grandfather of these two women and he passed it down to them um you know why should you have to give back gifts given to you by Africans. That's sort of robbing Africans of any kind of agency isn't it um so I thought it was just an absurd uh, t- taking this idea that we should hand back 
any tribal, ethnic, African art back to the Africans without any compensation to a ridiculous, absurd conclusion, which is even if your ancestor was given this particular bit of folk art, you still have to give it back and expect no compensation. Yeah, pretty absurd. Give back nothing ever is my stand. Um, Toby, thanks for that P quote. Shall we now reluctantly go to review the reviews? So I'm annoyed about the reviews this week, as some of you may have picked up <laughs> earlier. But um, here's a good one. Review the reviews. It's, this is me reviewing a review about Review the Reviews, just so you all know. And, it, and the title is Review the Reviews. And it comes from Anit, Anne1T. I don't know how they want, want me to say that. Five stars. Please keep reviewing the reviews, Nick. Too funny. Should try stand-up. Excellent. And for the 90-ish minute format. Appreciate Toby's wider activism. Keep asking people to donate. It takes a while to sink in. Could, where appropriate, make a suggestion for what people can do to address the issue at hand, e.g. right to chair of appropriate committee slash department, the thought that something might make a difference cathartic. Missed Will when he took a holiday. That's a nice review. Now let's get into this one, which I've alluded to earlier. I'll go into it in a little bit more detail. And uh, from London calling to the Weekly Skeptic, three stars, cards on the table, I listened to get another view. I enjoyed listening and reading James Dallin-Paul and Toby Young, never really agreeing with them, but the way they sparred and poked the reader-listener with their thoughts was always interesting. As time went by, JD developed into a parody of himself, lazily preaching, do your research, when he couldn't back up anything he said. Toby Young became the voice of reason. London calling expired. I gave the weekly skeptic a listen. Nick Dixon teams up with Toby Young. Wow. ND, a man who is obviously contributing on the hoof, Okay. Constantly floundering around, clarifying and blustering in the JD style. Meanwhile, Toby Young sounds as disappointed in his current ill-prepared co-host as he did with his old mate, <laughs> JD, towards the end of LC. I doubt the Weekly Skeptic will last as long as LC before Toby Young has to call time on this latest venture. So don't say I never read a harsh review about myself. It's about as horrible as it gets. I love the idea. Is that the one you had read earlier, yeah. which kind of was... was oh, and by the way, that comes from Cuntface8000. So... That was a, a review by a truly evil person because the idea that, I don't, you know, you can criticize and critique, but the idea that I don't do my research, I'm literally planned the whole fucking show. Who do you think plans the fucking show? Who do you think comes up with all the topics? Who came up with Birdwatch and then X-Files? I mean, Toby came up with Pete Woke, credit to him. Across the Pond was mine. I title the episodes. I write the blurb. I, I have to check the recording is working. I have to do all the timestamps. And also it's hours of preparation every week. This fucking free pocket. The idea that I don't do the research... To compare me to James, who literally didn't do any research and just said, I can't be bothered to engage with that. One reason I may sometimes sound like I'm not, I'm sort of in two minds because I'm trying to follow the entire outline of the show, host the entire show while also commenting. I mean, I mean, fuck you, basically. These people, man. I mean, at least I don't mind that he likes you and, and thinks I'm shit or something, but it's just like the preparation angle when I am the one that make just a whole fucking podcast happen. I don't know. What do you think, Toby? No, no, he's, he's quite wrong. Um, uh, Nick, I think, is often better prepared than me um, and um, love JD. But um, as Nick says, um, he didn't always um, prepare. He didn't actually want to talk about what had happened in the news. He thought it was all bread and circuses and a distraction designed to, um, uh, you know, misdirection designed to deflect attention from what was really going on. And that's what he wanted to talk about each week. Um, no, I think this podcast will run and run and outlast even London calling. Well, there you go, from the, from the man himself. And Toby, of course, comes in very well with concise comments. He's been a journalist for decades. I'm just a comedian 
And I, I bring other things to it. I don't necessarily bring Toby's precision mind or grasp of the facts. I think that's fine because I bring something else to it. Am I, I'm a bit different. I don't care that much. If a debate goes on too long, I'll often just go, yeah, whatever, because it's just not, it's not really how my brain works. Whereas Toby will never stop. And he's, he's like a terminator of, of facts and debate, whereas I'm just more playful. I just want to, you know, because I'm, I'm a comedian of 11 years, so it's just a different background. But I think that's fine. But, I mean, it's just disgusting to say I don't prepare, though. So you try and fucking host a two-hour podcast every week, dickhead. Anyway, this review says, excellent, five stars. Woke up this a.m. about 5 a.m. And my first thought was, I wonder if the weekly podcast has been posted yet. And what was nice about that was I simultaneously had on the current thing, my other podcast and this podcast, a review saying excellent five stars. They both said excellent, even though they're from different people. So I like that. That's the kind of thing I like, really. Um, here's one more. Five stars, of course. Nick and Toby are leading the fight against a world populated by only eunuchs, vegans, the LGBTQA New Letter Allocation Board, and Sadiq Khan. Keep it up, boys. I do have one question, though, to Nick, and the same goes for James Ellingpole. How can people so skeptical in approach believe in God, the biggest con of them all? This from, comes from Christ a la bike. Well, the answer to that, Mr. Bike, is very easy. Is It's very easy to be skeptical of atheism, because if you're an atheist, which it implies you are here, you believe that everything came from nothing, which is philosophically makes no sense. You also believe that everything from the stars to a hummingbird to the concept of delayed gratification just are just random. It's all just random and chaos, which is just, to me seems completely unrealistic. I don't mind if you have qualms about the, the age of Noah or something like that in the, in the Bible, but when you're talking about the belief in God not being skeptical, atheism's a fad and it's actually a much more skeptical approach, I would say, in our secular age to, to believe in God is actually more skeptical. I'm skeptical of the atheistic hegemony. How about that? Any comment, Toby? <laughs> All right, that, 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 that sounded like um, the argument from design. And I'm just trying to recall from my days of studying philosophy what the shortcomings of the argument from design are. I can only think of one off the top of my head, which is that it may imply theism, but not monotheism. So it may well be that you find it implausible that all the that the universe could have come into existence entirely by accident, um, and that something could have been created from nothing. Therefore, there has to be a creator. Everything works too well for it to have just been randomly generated. But it doesn't necessarily, therefore, mean that there should have been just one creator. Could have been, you know, a collection of gods, as in the Hindu religion. So it might be an argument for theism, but not necessarily for Christianity. Well, that's why I added the caveat. I don't mind what you think about the age of Noah, which was a way of saying you don't have to agree necessarily with my specific views or or one religious specific views, at least for the purposes of this review. But you do. But he is he is making a case for atheism versus God, and I'm and I'm debunking it. And you're also debunking okay. it, and all you've got is the possibility of multiple gods. So I still win. <laughs> Atheists haven't answered how, how you can get something from nothing. They've never answered it, and they cannot. Maybe some people are writing and say, we have actually answered it. It's in Dawkins or something, but I'm not going to read that, am I? So, Toby, <laughs> anything you'd like to add? No, I think we should ju just, um, just, to, just to tell people that um, if they are thinking about joining the Free Speech Union but still haven't got round to it, um, we are putting our membership fees up on Friday. That is on the 15th of September. They're going to go up. They're going to go up by 20%. It'll be the first rise uh, since uh, we set it up in February 2020. And obviously, inflation's 
far greater than that in that period, but we have to put it up. We're going to continue providing the kinds of services we provide to our members. Um, uh, and uh, But if you join before September 15th, not only will you join at the current price, but you won't be charged the new price for at least a year. So if you join as an annual member, the first time you're charged again, you'll be charged at the same rate as it is now. You won't be charged the new rate for at least a year. So it's an incredible opportunity to become a member of the Free Speech Union. When the new website is launched, a lot of our premium content like uh, interviews, extended interviews with Douglas Murray, Kathleen Stock, Jack D, and countless others will be behind a paywall. Our FAQs about what to do if, you know, people tell you you've got to declare your gender pronouns on your lanyard at work, you know, uh, what do you do if your employer asks you to do that? What are your rights? All those sorts of things addressed in our FAQs. They'll be behind a paywall. But you'll be have access to all this content as well as discounted tickets to our regular program of events and of course if you get into trouble we will have your back all for the very low price until we put them up of um two it starts at two pounds 49 a month we're practically giving away memberships so now is the time to join if you're thinking about joining do it before friday the 15th absolutely and i would just urge people to go to my other podcast the current thing has the same high rating as the weekly skeptic on apple podcast We've had some really interesting episodes lately on a variety of topics because I cover culture war and politics, but I also cover masculinity, comedy, loads of things. And we have a very interesting one coming up, All Being Well, with Doug Stokes, the author of Against Decolonization, brand new book, which will be very, very interesting, hopefully coming out on Friday. I say hopefully just in case something goes wrong with the recording or something because people don't realize all the stuff that goes into podcasts, as you can tell from some of our reviews. And just lastly... Go to the current thing, but you can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon if you want to support me. And I just want to shout out Jim, who bought five coffees, and he says, will this buy me a mention, PS Great Podcast? Well, it has bought you a mention, Jim. Thank you very much. And I should read more of the buy me a coffee people because they're inevitably much nicer than the review people who are hit and miss, mainly hit, but some pretty hard misses as we discovered today. So thank you to everyone. Buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. I will reply to your comment and maybe I'll start reading someone here and you just buy me a digital coffee and as many as you want. And it's much, much appreciated. And Toby, if there's nothing else, I'll, is that it? Well, um, just to say, if you do want to join the Free Speech Union, it's www.freespeechunion.org slash join slash. You go to our page, you'll see how to join. It's all pretty easy. It's www.freespeechunion.org. Yes. All right. I think that's pretty much it then. We've managed to clock in around one hour 45. So we shaved off 15 minutes. We're getting there. But there's a lot of controversy. Maybe that's a good balance between the two-hour people and the people who want the 90-minute format. So there you go. We've compromised right in the middle. So th- well, we've got we've got um, will. Oh, to we've add. got will to add. Um, so it's actually going to be two yeah, hours so again. It, no, it, I've, I've got it completely wrong. Be two hours, yeah. <laughs> we've done two hours again. <laughs> we can't help ourselves. We're just so hard working. Give you so much free value, which most of you appreciate. Some of you don't, and the latter should stop listening. All right. Well, all that remains is to say until next week. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical.